Blog Talk Radio. I'm 
important topic. 
So at this point in time, the order for the day or events will entails introduction of political panelists and this, followed by what's going on in your world and the community, and then we'll have a discussion on the theme tonight, imperialism in crisis. So at this point in time, you know how we get started with our party. We're going to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. We're going to first start off with Brother Haki, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Hey, Brother Africa. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness, and of course, you know, Brother Africa, my thing is about institution building. But one of the things that you said was very, very key in, in your opening, Brother Africa, and you talked about the, the, uh, the pearls confronting uh, imperialism. And one of the things we were very clear, in order for imperialism to sustain itself, it has to not only project, but it has to rationalize. It has to create an abundance of lies to justify its existence. One of the real problems is that as the masses of people become more conscious, become more conscientious in terms of understanding clearly what is going on in society and begin to understand the impact institutions have on their lives, then they begin to see the, the, the government in the context of what it truly is. Name is a very oppressive uh, system in which the benefits are accrued to a very small number of people in society. So clearly people get a firm understanding that uh, uh, their interests are not respected by the government. Now, one of the things that's been bounded about in, you know, in the Western media here over the last couple of months is question around critical race theory. So interestingly enough, they never define what critical race theory is, but they simply say it's a bad thing. So in keeping with the usual kind of propaganda, uh, they're very vague in terms of precisely what critical race theory really is. But even I, I was thinking about that, so I thought I wrote this just to sort of clarify in terms of precisely, you know, what political, I mean, excuse me, critical race theory really is. <clears throat> now, now, Western media fixation with critical race theory suggests there is an agenda at play. Most media outlets characterize critical race theory as a Marxist-inspired plan to undermine the U.S. in the hopes of supplanting its institutions in the hope of bringing about inequality. Equating Marxism to critical race theory is disingenuous at its core. Marxism sees class relations as a function of institutions operating in a way to serve the interests of capital. In this regard, Marxism understands the functioning of the economy is a historical process where wealthy people's interests will be served by ensuring the wealth accrued most of the benefits in society. Critical race theory acknowledges the legitimacy of Marxism analysis but seeks to encapsulate the subjective impact of institutional policy on people and the strategies employed to divide people based on not just class but ethnicity as well. Now, the concept of race, a social constructive term which has no biological basis, in fact, is consciously avoided to prevent any misunderstanding in reference to critical race theory's evolution. So what is critical race theory? Critical race theory, some uh, historians would argue, is the epitome of struggle against unjust political systems and the perils imposed upon groups of people who were marginalized but deserve the economic interests of those in power. In the case of African people, the plight and struggles of African people were documented by people like Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, and William Steele, to name a few, chronicled the abuse and daily degradation inflicted on African people. I should point out the degradation inflicted on poor whites took a different character and intensity. Assuring poor whites of their worth relative to despised Africans created psychological dimensions placing many poor whites squarely in the rulers of the capital's camp. Now, the abuse meted out to Africans in colonial America intent was not to merely benefit economically, but in effect 
psychologically conditioned Africans consider themselves as less than human, a beast of burden whose only role was to serve. This type of cultural capital manifests itself not just in the economic arena, but every aspect of U.S. society. The loss of African autonomy or control of their own lives was so pervasive. The idea of Africans being capable of making decisions of self-interest was questioned. Dr. Samuel A. Cartwright coined a medical term, Gryptomania, which was a sickness attributed to Africans who attempted to flee slavery. Needless to say, this kind of paternalism served as both a basis and rationalization justified exploitation of African people based solely on skin color. This perception of the innate inferiority of Africans did not end with shadow slavery in America's institutions. During FDR's New Deal and President Lyndon Baines Johnson's Great Society, neither policy reimagined ending institutional biases against Africans. While improving the economics of many poor whites, both presidents were content to support the status quo, while access to these new programs largely excluded African people. This paradox of exclusion did not go unnoticed around the world. In Germany, the Frankfurt School embellished the theme of mass consumption and culture in the early 20th century. Realization of consumption and culture is important to understanding racism in 21st century America. Now, I should point out at this point, it should point out that the contributions of Germany to critical race theory as a discipline is never acknowledged by political conservatives. Perhaps this convenient oversight exists because acknowledging Germany's role in the formation of critical race theory will undermine claims of critical race theories, Marxist origins, while lending credibility to the role institutions play in forming social strife and inequality. Now, by equating status to buying power makes it easier to define someone's wealth. Those that can afford to consume big houses, big cars, food, extravagant social life, are someone. They have relevance. How about those lacking in purchasing power because of structural unemployment, low wages, or institutional biases? Their perceived worth is, ver- is not very much. Psychologically speaking, this perception of one's worth based upon buying may increase profits, but the more insidious aspect creates negative perceptions of how poor people are viewed, but disproportionately African people. Critical race theory seeks to unravel not only the inner workings of institutions, but to dissect the impact institutions have on people's way of thinking. In fact, the tax on in, in fact attacks on critical race theory in part <clears throat> is a response to a newfound awakening occurring in the U.S. society. The realization and awareness among the populace, government policies directly implicated in unemployment, low wages, homelessness, and lack of accessibility to health care, demands political conservatives escalate their attack on critical race theory as a strategy to divert the public's attention from the systematic uh, systematic abuse. Interestingly enough, when political conservatives rail against critical race theory, they do not dispute the curriculum or its theoretical framework. They resent the clarity critical race theory provides all people. Imagine poor people understanding we are all slaves to capitalism. Imagine African people understanding their values, the values they hold may well contribute to, the, to their impoverishment or their oppression. When conservatives equate critical race theory to Marxism, they do so to, to scare the, public, the populace. Marxism, the boogeyman in the closet, has long been used to terrify the populace. By, neither, by demonizing critical race theory, by alluding to its Marxist origins, political conservatives hope to, to prevent discussions around the authenticity of democracy. The difficulty for conservatives is democracy is a concept, as a concept can be defined any way one prefers. Philosophically, democracy's philosophical roots does not have at its core concern for poor people. Besides, America is a republic, not a democracy. Concerns that critical race theory will compel the citizens to reevaluate capitalism or tarnish the self-exaggerated importance of whiteness, they are absolutely correct. The process has already started. Millennials and Gen Xers are increasingly coming to the realization 
they have been manipulated. Much like omitting offensive school contributions to critical race theory, you are rejecting whiteness as a political construct, referring not to see degrees of humanity, just humanity. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next from Brother Haki, we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice especially the illustrious panelists, uh, greetings to all. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts, Brother Africa. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. And I'd like to say, you know, Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. You know, women hold up half the sky. And um, I want to thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. All right, welcome, Brother Moses. Next we go to uh, Carlos, something 236. Introduce yourself, and welcome to Africa on the Moon. Good afternoon, uh, everyone. This is Eleanor Johnson. Um, Thank you so much, Brother Africa, for inviting me to participate as one of your analysts and panelists on this Sunday broadcast. It's a great pleasure to be here. I believe that as people become, uh, as we become more politically educated and uh, organized, we can bring about a positive change in our lives. And uh, I welcome and thank uh, everyone for uh, for allowing me to participate in this program. Thank you, Brother Africa. It's an honor to have you, so I would know and to listen to the audience, we recommend that you might be getting some feedback in the audio. Um, please uh, bear with us. We've been trying to um, fix that particular phenomenon. But again, there are some things that we are not in control of. And if you encounter this, just be patient with us. And hopefully, you know, we can uh, overcome that particular um, obstacle. So right now, we're going to go to our next panelist and this for today's program. We have with us Sister Shirley. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Sister Shirley? If that's Shirley, call her 0796. 0796. The mic is yours. Okay, I guess that's not her, so if they want to say something, please hit one, and we'll come back to them. So, panelists, this is what we're going to do right now. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we want to know what's going on in the, what's going on in your world and the community. And for the guests who are listening, if you want to share with us what's going on in your world and the community, we encourage you when we come back to call 323 323- Six seven nine, oh eight four one. This is Africa on the move. 
the Fruit of Labor Singing Ensemble from North Carolina. We are the cultural arm of worker and civil rights organization, Black Workers for Justice. Um, we came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham. Um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement too. We are with UE150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, some of us come from communities that have super fun sites in the middle of them. Some of us are part of organizations, environmental organizations that fight against coal ash ponds, that fight, that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which will come through predominantly of colors, communities of color, black and Native American communities. Um, so we're fighting against that. We're fighting against hog farms, uh, proliferation in North Carolina and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the jobs and workers being poisoned in our communities. We want to close with a song. So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay. It's called Justice Flowing Down Like Water. Family drank from a deep clear well to the ox and moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well, there's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish of mama heat. Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water, safe for all. Clean water, clean water, safe for all. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your right. Get up. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. 
That's right. You better not get a, give up that fight. We welcome you back to Africa on the move. We are winners. Winners never quit. You know that. So we can continue down the path for liberation. We in the seat. We're going to take the heat. As you decided, we're going to stand behind it. For my political panelists, maybe joining us later. When you come in, please hit one so we can acknowledge you on our board. At this point in time, we'd like to invite uh, our listening audience to join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. Our theme tonight is imperialism in crisis. Before we um, bring our panel on, I would like to give a brief shout-out to the AAPRPGC, the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC for an excellent job with display of African Liberation Day, Palestine, and Nakpak Day yesterday. They did an excellent, beautiful job. The theme of the program was a unified social, one unified socialist Africa, one Palestine. We'd like to thank him for providing the, the necessary information and the political, political education that our people need in order to move forward and defeat the enemy. So our salute goes out to you. And for more information, if you'd like to see the program, we encourage you to go to our website, which is www.a-a. PRP-GC.org. Check out the website of the AAPRPGC. So right now we're coming back to our pleasure panelists and Anthony Day. We're gonna bring in Brother Haki and we're gonna ask Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? The mic is yours. Well, Brother Africa, I, I'd be remiss. If I didn't talk about the role, the increasing role that the CIA is playing in terms of forming uh, propaganda inside the borders of the United States, uh, clearly we have these major institutions, media institutions specifically, who form all kinds of propaganda. We also have the FBI playing that role in terms of forming you know, propaganda. But now we got a new player. We got the CIA involved in, uh, in facilitating the formatting um, propaganda in the United States. So I thought that was very interesting. So it's, it seems to me that this involvement of the CIA in terms of disseminating propaganda speaks to the, to the concerns of those positions of power that, that the, the reality is that people in America are waking up to the reality in terms of what's going on in their name and begin to understand that they are uh, oppressed. And uh, the kind of repression that they endure on a, on a daily basis it simply doesn't, simply have, doesn't have to exist, but exists unless it serves the interests of people who have wealth and power. And so people have come to the realization that something's fundamentally wrong and they want a new paradigm. And so, so henceforth uh, comes the CIA in terms of tr- an attempt to sort of s- slow down that process in terms of people's realization of what's really going on in society. But anyway, I, I wrote this by the Africa. I thought this might be of some interest to people in terms of the CIA's um, involvement in terms of propaganda in America. Now, the rise of right-wing violence, the rise of right-wing groups is not coincidental, but the result of news presentation specifically with the intent to reinforce certain biases or prejudices that serve the interests of capitalists. Colloquially known as behavior modification, the intent of bias in the news is to legitimize in the minds of the intended targets behavioral actions institutions can utilize to preserve their power, while increasing the inevitability of violence directed toward those in search for a new paradigm, one which offers the possibility of justice and humanity. 
In other words, the state understands it is advantageous to have individuals who are unaware of changes in society and their negative impacts on society. It's far better for the state to reinforce ideas or beliefs that support the status quo. This reinforcement in the guise of propaganda is important for two reasons. First, such individuals can inevitably be called upon to express gratitude for the system, which was so legitimately to the system, even if such praise is unwarranted. Secondly, conflict is key to ensuring the unity desire to bring about change never crystallizes. Media talks a great deal about the left and the right. Such terms are never contextualized, given the impression the possibility of sharing views or ideas is simply impossible. This division serves the interests of capitalists, making it easier for institutions to favor the right wing by crafting news coverage which validates right wing talking points. Despite attempts to undermine left wing critique, the potency of left wing arguments are embraced by most citizens in the U.S. According to a CNBC poll, policies affiliated with the left are overwhelmingly supported by both the left and the right. From paid maternity leave to government funding of health care, livable minimum wage to tuition-free universities, the overwhelming number supports these initiatives. Rutter's, Rutter's, in addition, Rutter's poll stated 60% of Americans support single-payer system. 80% support the Green New Deal. 75% support limits on campaign spending. While none of these initiatives would end racism or inequality, the precedent they could establish could contribute to platforms directly addressing the systematic inequality in the U.S., thereby making systematic change possible. Now, th- those in positions of power are quite aware of the progressive strain among the citizens. This is precisely why, in 2012, the U.S. Congress attached an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act called the smith Mon Authorization Act. The smith Mon Act authorizes federal authorities to employ propaganda inside the U.S. Historically, propaganda could only be used in foreign countries. However, given the concise, cogent ideas emanating from the left, Political elites recognized their self-interest were threatened by political change and realized propaganda from media centers was not sufficient in upholding the welfare's interest. Most effective, most effective propaganda was sought and the CIA delivered. Employing a more crude and sensitive propagandist method, or today's propaganda lacks the nuance and sophistication employed post-60s to a more brazen propaganda that's more in-your-face variety. This type of propaganda common in the pre-60s perhaps reflects the high illiteracy rate in the U.S. and the need to make propaganda more visceral or appealing to the obvious biases that exist in society. Now, guided, now guided by the plausibility deniability, plausible deniability, the visibility of planting news stories in the media afforded the U.S. CIA broad latitude. Over the last eight years, the nuance of storytelling has become less intricate. Consistently writing the right-wing biases or biases that embrace the status quo, they have been able to shape mainstream news stories that legitimizes the status quo while appealing to right-wing organizations and individuals. In order to highlight this point, I'm making <clears throat> there are two news articles of importance. First is the case of Andrew Brown, Elizabeth, North Carolina. He was a young man who was shot in the back of the head and was fleeing, fleeing the, uh, the cops in North Carolina. Now, the district attorney, Andrew Wombley, alleged Mr. Brown used his vehicle as a dangerous weapon endangering the deputy involved. The video did not support his claims. Refusing to release a two-hour video when confronted by journalists who who interpretation of the car as a dangerous weapon while fleeing, Wombley, the district attorney, responded, quote, I don't care if if this car was going forward, backwards, or sideways, end quote. The subjectivity is is obvious, but but the mainstream media's release of transcripts suggests a point of view is being projected. Could that point of view be he got what he deserved, or is the point of view 
he has no right. The white man is bound to respect. The brazenness of circulating Wombly's words suggests a new tactic in engaging the right wing. The second case, Nicole Hannah-Smith denied tenure at the University of North Carolina. Ms. Jones, who was the recipient of the Pulitzer Prize and the MacArthur Fellowship, was denied tenure because of pressure from conservatives. Slated to head the Department of Race and Investigative Journalism, she was denied because of her contribution to the 1619 Project. For those who don't know what the 1619 Project is, it's simply... It's sort of rehash in terms of American history, which talks about the role that slavery played in terms of the, the development and evolution of the society, which a lot of conservatives oppose. A school as prestigious as the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill normally controls or at least spends stories which undermine its prestige. Apparently, conveying the message independent thought of African scholars is not permissible goes a long way of ensuring the right-wing conservatives rule. Clearly, if a scholarly African's academic work covers no weight, what does it mean for the activists in the African community? The message is surreptitious, but nonetheless audible to its intended right-wing audience. And I close with that by the Africa. We thank you, Brother Haki. And next we're going to go to Brother Moses. Talk to us. What's going on in your world and the community? We're going to bring in Brother Moses. Yes, Brother Africa, this has been a very interesting week. Uh, I think, you know, like um, we still are dealing with the coronavirus, COVID-19, obviously. Uh, countries like India are desperate, and we need to be sharing the intellectual property uh, rights that go with the uh, vaccine. Um, other than that, um, it's been a very, very interesting time uh i think you know african liberation day was this week um and um certainly we we've um enjoyed this week um i'm 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 not sure where to go at this point i'll i'll leave it right there thank you thank you brother moses next after brother moses come down sister eleanor sister eleanor What's going on in your world in the community? The back is yours. Well, um, again, uh, I agree with uh, Brother Akeem and 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 uh, his great analysis on propaganda in our country, and uh, also Brother Moses and his concern about the intellectual rights to the vaccine. Um, right now, we see a huge gap in uh, vaccinations in Africa and in the Southern Hemisphere in South America. We, and we saw the Zionists literally bomb the corona uh, uh, vaccine and uh, corona clinic in, in Gaza and Palestine. So this was a very interesting week, uh, uh, Brother Africa, in that I feel the Palestinian people won they didn't win with the military. They don't have war planes. They don't have the Iron Dome. They don't have uh, armies and bombs as the Israelis did. The Israelis, uh, what they did, the Zionists did, was outrageous. That this, this Zionist apartheid must be stopped. But they won when the world began to wake up and realize workers around the world refused to ship or unload ships on their way to Israel to cause, cause more 
uh, harm to the Palestinian people. People are not bolstering up uh, Israel everywhere. Workers are becoming uh, aware that global warming, issues of global warming, of of vaccinations, of these issues, we must stand together and uh, uh, that was the victory for the Palestinian people, that the a global awareness that the Palestinian people are unarmed, peaceful people in a military settler state that is slaughtering them, murdering them, murdering children and women, destroying um, press, the free press, buildings where the free press was operating from, destroying 40 schools. We are aware of that. That was a great victory for the Palestinian people that for the first time we didn't hear them just call Arabs. They're Palestinians. And the Palestinian awareness uh, movement is really on the move. So they won by uh, political engagement. And Israel should uh, be disarmed. They are a threat. To humanity Murderous Zionist behavior Is outrageous We've seen it in this world before So we need to stop it Brother Africa And I think there was a victory this week And uh, African Liberation Day Was a, a great event In my opinion As just a participant listening in I learned so much And it was so So encouraging and to see people with such integrity standing up, uh, sharing with us what's going on in our world, on our planet. Now, in terms of the intellectual rights to this vaccine, we hold firm that it should be made accessible to any pharmaceutical company on the planet. Um, for Moderna or Pfizer to say uh, Moderna to say they'll turn their head and let you use it is ridiculous, Brother Africa, because it's, we're talking about huge investments of labor and of capital to produce this vaccine. So we need for those uh, 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 those property rights or the intellectual property rights to be clearly allowed to be used by any manufacturer that is able to produce the vaccine so that we can begin to vaccinate the rest of the world. There are a billion Indians, so we can't do very much. Uh, 200 million doses is just a drop in the bucket, Brother Africa, when there are 1.3 or more billion Indians. And uh, I understand that there are 12 countries in uh, Africa itself that have received no vaccines at all, and there are six countries in South America that are also suffering from a lack of vaccines. And we see Bolsonaro continues on his rampage of isolationism. So what the greatest struggle on the planet right now uh may be social imperialism, but it's the emergence of fascism. Uh, the French uh, allegedly are not allowing uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrations, and uh, that's, that's outrageous. That's not the France I thought I knew. I thought they were a progressive country, but for some reason 
Um, and probably because I'm uneducated and know not why, maybe President, Brother Akeem or Moses or Brother Maurice or Anthony can fill us in. The French are uh, not allowing for demonstrations. Uh, we see, and what we need to fight right here in the United States is the militarization of the capital. We don't need to put $21 million into building underground gate fencing that pops up and training National Guardsmen to uh, protect our capital. We protect our capital with uh, uh, knowing, treating all people equally. The FBI, Homeland Security, everyone seemed to be informed of the threat that the white supremacists were and potentially were. They were aware of the permits that were issued and that there were potentially 80,000 demonstrators in places like Freedom Plaza. Uh, 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 it, it was just outrageous. Everyone knew the information. They just failed to act on it. But nonetheless, the Capitol Police defended the Capitol, and it stood. We've learned from uh, recent documents released to the Washington Post, distributed by organizations like Africa on the Move, that uh, it was well documented, the threats that we were facing from these white supremacists. Whereas in June, the United States, President Trump was aggressive in dispersing the uh, Black Lives Matter demonstrators at uh, Lafayette Square. There was no such action to stop these armed criminals from attacking our capital. So I feel that this was a great week for uh, workers and democracy uh, everywhere because we see what's going on and we don't need to militarize and uh, our capital. That's not what we need in this small city. We need for there to be equal rights for everyone and for the, every American to have the right to assembly and to demonstrate. And we need to fight this what's happening in this republic right now, whereas 27 states are initiating legislation that uh, will suppress voter rights. There are uh, pending legislation that will affect a person's right to assembly. That's not what we need. We need to fight that, and we fight it at the ballot box. We fight it in the street with demonstrations. As it was uh, stated in an article I read this week that in 2018, 2019, that the U.S. uh, authorities knew that the greatest problem uh, with free assembly and demonstrations were these white supremacists. So obviously we don't need to militarize and uh, our, our capital. We need to stop these criminal activities from these white supremacists and make sure that they receive their opportunity to uh, be employed as slaves in the U.S. industrial prison project so that these white supremacists can join the people that are there. 
for these crimes that they committed. Smoking marijuana in the Capitol, uh, spraying a dangerous chemical on an officer who dies. That murder should be on the hands of those demonstrators. That's how they roll with everyone else in America. We want to roll that same way with those white supremacists. We want them to receive equal treatment under the law, just can Americans do. And workers are standing in solidarity with African Americans, with the Palestinian people and their rights. And it's a glorious time. This is the weekend of the Pentecost when the, the Holy Spirit descended upon the uh, disciples and the apostles and they spread the word. And I feel that Africa on the move is spreading the word. Workers' rights, voters' rights, housing, education, health care, and food is a basic human right. And we are not talking about putting people in industrial uh, subsidized housing. We're talking about a right to own the place you live, whether it's a co-op, a single family home, whatever. This is needed not only for housing, but also for commerce. You know, the type of businesses that develop in a community depend on the affordability of the commercial properties, which uh, uh, will determine whether you'll have a bar, restaurant, or whether or not you'll have an art center or a senior center. And so we need to remember that affordable housing and accommodations are a basic human right. Health care is a basic human right. And so that takes me back to the vaccine. We need to stop the uh, the uh, Cuban embargo. It's uh, time to stop that and let the Cuban people share their medical knowledge with us, uh, citizens of the world, as they always have in uh, Central America, Canada, and South America and Africa with uh, vaccine production as well as uh, the vaccine development that we, the U.S. taxpayers, paid Moderna to produce. Uh, We need to move forward with the U.N.'s um, plans to uh, make that proprietary knowledge uh, moot and accessible to everyone so that uh, the vaccine can be produced and we can uh, uh, wipe this pandemic out, just eliminate this this corona, uh, uh, this uh, COVID-19, I'm sorry, not corona, COVID-19 virus, and just eliminate it because if we do not vaccinate everyone on earth, we're risking uh, there being different variants that will affect us and we're risking the the safe and health of everyone everywhere. United we stand, divided we fall. And I just say I'm in unity with with you panelists 
and that African Liberation Day was a great success. It was really a wonderful event. Thank you. Jesus, when we come back to our break, we have a chance to um, talk a little bit about African Liberation Day. Again, if you're on our board, you listen to your program. If you have something to say, please hit one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. But what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion on what's going on in our world and your community. Come back. We'd like to start off a little bit for those who participated this year, African Liberation Day. We'd like to get some of your thoughts on some of the things you, you gained from that particular event that were done by the AAPIPGC. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
That's right. No matter where you come from, you are an African. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We're in the seat and we're going to take the heat. And as we just find it, you're going to stand behind it. We'd like to invite you to join us at 323-679-0841 as we continue to discuss what's going on in our world and the community. Um, before the break, we said we'll come back. We'd like to talk a little bit about African Liberation Day. That was held by all African peoples. We'll be sharing part of GC yesterday. And before we talk about that, we know that this year's theme was One Unified Socialist Africa, One Palestine. Brother Haki, from your understanding, historically participation at, participation at African Liberation Day. Uh, many Africans in the community want to know 
why was that important to understand the linkage and the commonality between the struggles of the Palestinians and the Africans? Why are we worried about the Palestinians? Says the conscious African brother, Brother Haki, will be your response to our people. Well, to put, to put it simplistically, uh, we, we have to understand that there's one humanity. Uh, despite the, the kind of um, propaganda that we received, despite the miseducation, there's one humanity. And so when there's a systematic abuse of humanity, it, is, should, it should affect us all. It does affect us all. And so, therefore, we understand the potential to do bad in one country means creates potential to do bad in another part of the country. And so, therefore, we have a vested interest in terms of the fight injustice wherever it manifests itself. Uh, aside from that, the whole question in terms of one of the things, uh, you know, there's, there's a second argument. And that is that when we talk about, particularly we talk about Palestine, and uh, you talk about the, the Zionist regime over there and the regime of Israel, one of the things you've got to be very much concerned about in terms of the use, or the fraudulent use of religion for the sole purpose of exploitation you know, of, of, of other human beings. And so, therefore, that is fundamentally, uh, is fundamentally problematic. Uh, one of the things I can definitely say that I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that there was, a, in fact, a rabbi who actually took a stand in the U.K. against, um, against uh, the Zionist, uh, the Zionist uh, 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 imaginations, the kind of injustice inflicted upon the Palestinian body by the Zionists over there in the regime of Israel. So I'm happy to hear that uh, he took a stand in terms of just admitting that what they're fundamentally doing is wrong, and to even go a step further to actually say that, in fact, uh, liquidating uh, the regime of Israel off the face of the earth is desirable. So those are very, very strong words from someone who professed uh, to be part of the faith. So clearly this question in terms of humanity is a very important one. So I think that we have this, along with this vested interest in terms of, you know, um, fighting for that which is right. Uh, we also have to understand that, you know, one of the things is that we have one planet. If we don't fundamentally work together in terms of resolving situations that are confronting this planet, the reality is that, you know, we, we, we're going to destroy the planet. And so, therefore, if we destroy the planet, the question becomes where we're going to go. Of course, we understand that there was a position of power of seeking, you know, uh, to create colonies on the moon and to Mars and so forth and so on. Of course, uh, the, the probability of doing it is, 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 is uh, very, very minute in terms of actually being achieving, achieving that. So which means that we have to rely on terms of the, the significance of the, the earth being around in terms of you know, providing you know, for human needs. But we can't achieve that objective in terms of this, this, this healthy earth unless people are together. And so we have the best interest to fight against injustice wherever it exists. So the Palestinians are our brothers, and the kind of historical um, uh, maltreatment, uh, the, the, the historical uh, inequality, the historical indignity that the Palestinians confront is something that as an African person I can relate to. And so, therefore, it has an added incentive in terms of being very much concerned in terms of this kind of injustice inflicted upon the Palestinian people. But to answer your question, and I conclude with this, Brother Africa, I think that we have a vested interest in terms of uplifting humanity because it benefits all of humanity. So, for Eleanor, talk to us. What aspect of African liberation did you enjoy the most? What did you learn from some of the things you may have heard from it? On the program yesterday, since Eleanor. Um, the idea that there was a dialogue that included a fundamental uh, uh, presentation on how the Zionist state was developed, and for someone, uh, the speakers, to clearly articulate that they're not anti Jewish. They're anti-Zionist, 
and that Zionism is clearly racist, where it allows one group in one place to completely dominate the Palestinians. The Zionists completely dominate the Palestinians. Last week, we saw the Palestinians without water and electricity. We saw schools being bombed so that once your home was bombed, you had nowhere to go but the streets or to your neighbors. So we got to see what a unified people can do against uh, uh, military terrorism. That's what I saw last week. That's what the world saw. So yesterday, to see these people able to articulate how their uh, nation was occupied, when all they said was that every person should have a right to exist, no matter what their religion, to see them themselves annihilated, evicted from their homeland by uh, European Western settlers was just phenomenal to hear this. Um, and I, I mean, it, it was so informative and uh, just, just it was a, a very good. Moses, we sure take what did you get from your other program, Brother Moses? Well, unfortunately, um, I was tied up yesterday um, with my nephew. Um, but um, I, uh, what I did was that what I was able to take from it was that you know it was, it was from my reports that I got there was real good uh, information given out in that um, you know the Palestinian people. Uh, are justified in their just struggle against imperialism and Zionism, and uh, and we support them. Thank you. Hey, we just like to make the announcement for those who would like to see the program in the, in, in its entirety. Uh, please go to their website uh, at www.a-aprp gc.org. Also, they have a Facebook page that you can see this. So check them out. It was a beautiful event. So let's continue the discussion. Um, panelists, earlier I think Brother Haki and to the rest of the panelists, we raised the issue about the CIA and FBI intensifying their battle of propaganda within the border of the United States among the so-called American citizens. You know, one of the biggest propaganda machines I think um, um, they have is what many call Hollywood. I maintain that Hollywood should be a, a, like a fourth branch of the fourth branch of the U.S. government. It does a role. It does an excellent job in terms of creating all kinds of false narratives and deceptions and misceptions in the minds of the hearts of the folks. What do y'all think about when you talk about propaganda? What about the role of Hollywood? How does that fit into this scenario, um, Brother Hackey? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, well, the CIA has deep tentacles in Hollywood. I mean, that's well known. I mean, that's not a, that's not a mystery at all. Uh, even the CIA would acknowledge its roots in terms of tentacles, you know, uh, deeply in the inner workings of Hollywood. So that's no mystery to anybody. Uh, clearly, when you look at it in terms of the kind of programs that Hollywood produces, they're very clear. 
that uh, most of the movies that come out of Hollywood are very big in terms of highlighting the military, in terms of how glorious it is, in terms of you know the kind of things that it does. Of course, reality is quite something. It's quite different uh, in terms of the kind of atrocities committed by the U.S. military. Uh, that's not highlighted in in, in reality. That highlighted uh, in Hollywood. And what even is highlighted is sort of a, as a side issue. And so, therefore, normally what takes precedence is the notion in terms of the American greatness. And so clearly, you know, uh, you know, they got a vested interest in proponents' notion in terms of American greatness. Certainly, one of the things in terms of in continuation of imperial policy, you have to have people to carry out the imperial policy. So you need people to actually, who are, who are under the guise of patriotism, who are willing to go to foreign lands and possibly be killed under the guise that they are fighting for something greater than themselves. And so Hollywood does a very good job in creating that myth in terms of, you know, nothing is greater than, uh, you know, your self-sacrifice when it comes to defending America. But, of course, America never talks, and Hollywood never portrays reality in terms of, you know, the inequality that exists in American society and why this inequality exists. Hollywood does something in terms of talking about the disparity between the half and the half not society. Why is it that 1% of the population, certainly one-tenth of 1% of the population, control an enormous, enormous amount of wealth while the overwhelming number of people have access to nothing? Hollywood never talks about that. So it's not in Hollywood's interest to convey those kind, those, those kind of ideas. As a matter of fact, it's all designed to keep those ideas out of the mind of the populace. And that context is the, is the biggest in terms, of, uh, in terms of how it goes about dispensing your propaganda. Uh, so clearly, uh, Brother Africa, and there's nobody surprised about the role that the CIA plays in terms of propaganda in Hollywood. And, and so when we, talk about, when we talk about Zionism, you can't talk about Zionism without CIA. And so therefore, the, so when we talk about geopolitical policy in terms of the kind of things the United States do, particularly with its military, to understand that those kind of things uh, are, are, giving, uh, are giving great visibility when it comes to Hollywood. And so people's position is that when they intervene abroad, it's for the good, better good, don't understand that what they're doing is they respond to something that's not necess- that's, that's not only disingenuous, untrue, but essentially what they're doing is creating a situation whereby you're going into foreign lands and fighting people around the world, you make it possible for your own oppression right here in America, your own suffering, your own your own poverty uh, to actually increase in society because you fight for you, you fight to uphold a system that's, that's fundamentally in, in, in opposed to the interest of working in a poor people in society. So clearly, uh, Hollywood plays a big role to promulgate this notion that uh, America is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a vassal of good, and clearly, that's not the historical reality. Thank you, Brother Akeem. I, I seem to be on. Um, I just want to say that was an excellent analysis. Um, also, I think that people aren't joining the military in this United States because they of their patriot. I think that in general we are patriotic people. However, I think that Hollywood is assisting in promoting the military as a employer. So it becomes a major employer for poor people to to have a decent job, to possibly own a home, uh, to uh, receive an education where they actually receive a certificate or a diploma. For us uh, African-Americans, so many of us enter university with all the attributes of being great uh, students. We no problem with matriculation. The problem is with our race and our class. That leads us, um, only a third of us, in completing our primary 
undergrad education. So what the military and Hollywood has promoted the military as is a a place where you can have respect as a worker, you can be respected for what you do, and you can earn a, quote, livable wage. And that's the attractiveness that the media has uh, laid out in the last couple of decades for uh, our youth. I think when that No Child Left Behind legislation passed, I think what it did was just uh, track children through the school system who were basically great kids with have great potential, but we don't dedicate the resources to our uh, schools where the children would be adequately prepared to go on to become the scientists and mathematicians and architects of today's world, but rather they would become a part of the uh, surplus labor economy, ergo, the only place to go uh, is uh, uh, the military. And you see the police departments across the nation are very similar, too, in that they are kind of militarized and increasingly becoming more militarized. And that's another place where someone with a very limited education could possibly uh, earn a livable wage. And uh, I often think I look around the District of Columbia and maybe I'm a rather plebeian person and I say there are two jobs in my youth that I knew that people could have and make a decent living. That was being a bus driver or a transportation worker or being a police officer. And sometime after that, around the beginning of that first Iraqi war, we begin to uh, popularize the military. Uh, When the Vietnam veterans came home, they were all, they seemed to be neglected and marginalized. But suddenly we saw the media in the late 20th century really glamorize uh, police work and the military. And I never understood why that was. We went from cowboys and Indians to police and the military. I thought that was a cultural phenomenon in that we were ourselves a settler state and that uh, this is what uh, held our attention. But now I realize, no, it's just what is produced for us to consume and that's why it holds our attention. There's so much more knowledge and things to know, and there's so much we need to know right now to stop future pandemics and to um, think about addressing the energy crises and uh, reducing our carbon footprint everywhere on the planet. And we certainly could do that through Hollywood, but it doesn't seem to be one of the tasks that's being taken up. Thank you. Okay, Brother Moses, we come back to Brother Moses. Are there anything you want to say in reference to some things you might hear before we go to our next transition? We give you the last word on the segment, Brother Moses. Any thoughts? Well, 
definitely the the Palestinian people need our support. I mean, that's no question about it. Uh, they're being overwhelmed by Zionism and imperialism. The U.S. the U.S. you know owns Israel basically, and uh, you know when we talk about the the military industrial complex and we talk about the war machine and we have to talk about imperialism and Zionism and the U.S. Israeli war machine and that's and that is unleashed on the Palestinian people and we as as people within the U.S. have an obligation to to um, do everything we can to stop the U.S. from perpetuating the the unleashing the Zionism on on to the Palestinian people they they control this this rabbit um animal and um uh, and they need to rein them rein them in uh, I'm sooner or later the the Israeli government like the South African government will fall thank you thank you brother Moses and to our listening audience this is Africa on the Move. We're going to go to a station break, and when we come back, we're going to start our sucker segment, 40 Days Program, which is featured our theme, Imperialism in Crisis. That's right, Imperialism in Crisis. We discuss some of the aspects of what's happening in our community and the world as relates to this theme, and we'd like to have your participation by calling in 323 679 0841. We'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere because Africa is on the move. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom. Take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Palestine. Needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. love. 
people of all countries, of every race and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Chains living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be. Strong to last through my journey, yeah. Last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care for soon. There where our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey Yeah, and made it through my journey Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries and see the blood in the red clay, the clay that holds stones together is African, and each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out from the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, 
comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death has spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino is the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Light is clear. Oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. I see our brother Anthony has just joined us, and we're making that transition to our theme today, imperialism and crisis. But before we do that, we're going to take some liberties right quick and allow our brother to say a few words to us about maybe what's going on in your world in the community, brother Anthony. The mic is yours. Hey, th- thank you, uh, brother Africa. And revolutionary greetings uh, to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the uh, uh, and the listening audience uh, for uh, today's program. Uh, let's see. Yesterday, uh, the All African People's Revolutionary Party (GC), in conjunction with the Allies, held a very successful uh, how uh, ALD Palestine not by day commemoration. Our theme was one unified socialist Africa, one Palestine. And uh, in light of the current events that are happening today, we thought this theme was appropriate. Uh, because uh, the uh, the Palestinians uh, are, are presently in a in a in a life and death struggle over control of their homeland and against uh, Zionism, and uh, it was a very uh, uh, a very informative program. And please uh, visit our site. 
dot a dash a p r p dash g c dot org uh to f- uh to find out more information about African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, and also to learn about some of the alliances that participated in the program. Okay. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And at this point in time, we're going to send the seat and we're going to take the heat. We're going to begin to address our theme tonight, imperialism and crisis. Man, when you look at the behavior that took place in the capital, January the 6th, and throughout the last five, six, seven years of the internal politics of America, you can see many signs that capitalism, or in this case, we say imperialism, is in crisis. Uh, there was an interesting article from the National Security Archive um, titled, The Capitalist Ride." Documents you should read, and this one is part three, and it raised some real interesting phenomena in terms of some of the issues that is taking place within the so-called government in terms of the insight, and definitely you can begin to see the crisis that capitalism um, is encountering when you look at this report. So, from your perspective, brother Hackey, when you say premiums in crisis. When you read the document, particularly some of your concerns where these contradictions were clearly shown from this document, document your take on it, Brother Hackney. The mic is yours. Well, I mean, as Sister Eleanor alluded to earlier, there was definitely a um, this, uh, defining difference between how the protesters of January 1st were treated compared to the uh, Black Lives Matter protesters of June uh, 2020. So clearly, uh, that was problematic uh, in terms of, you know, um, but more importantly, one of the things when they asked the Pentagon, you know, specifically, why is it that you refuse to allow soldiers to intervene uh, to prevent, you know, such an occurrence from happening on January the 1st, the Pentagon has yet to respond, which means that um, I, I, w- I, was su- I, was su- I would suggest or, or surmise that perhaps it has a lot to do with the fact that people in positions of, of the Pentagon wanted to transpire precisely what transpired. And what I'm saying is this. It's important people understand that when we talk about being at war, and Brother Africa, you often talk about being at war, and I don't think people understand that. When you try, you try to tell people you're at war, people are like, you know, you guys crazy. We're not at war. Well, let's just, as you alluded to, war takes many forms. And one of the things is that when you talk about in terms of the, in terms of the beginning stages in terms of creating the possibility of war, at first you have to, ra- you have to uh, rally the troops. Uh, one of the things is on, uh, when you talk about uh, the government in terms of preventing people from rallying the troops, one of the things you don't want people to do is to claim any kind of wins. In other words, by the people on January 1st who actually went there uh, to protest uh, Donald Trump's defeat, they were given a win. In other words, what it did, he increased the, the state, increased those particular individuals. It, inc- it increased their, their vis- not only their visibility, but also exaggerated their sense of importance. It is their sense of importance or the exaggerated sense of importance that make it possible for them to organize because people saw what they've done as a win. They were able to achieve something people in the history of the United States have never been able to achieve. They achieved that. They actually 
entered the, the White House, I mean, the, 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 the Capitol, the state cap, the Capitol. And so, therefore, as far as, as far as, as far as some potential movements are concerned, these guys, you know, are rock style, rock stars. And so this is the fundamental problems you got. And so they essentially allowed these people to do what they did. They knew, they were told beforehand that, in fact, that these people had planned, you know, uh, this attack on the White House, you know, the Capitol. They knew beforehand. They had documents stating that these people, these people uh, uh, consummate, a, uh, attempted to con- will consummate, a, a, excuse me, these people will actually attempt uh, to gain access to the White House. So they were well aware of the intrinsic threat in terms of these people's motives. Uh, Christopher Ray, uh, Chris, Christopher Ray, the, the FBI director, he's very, very clear in terms of the, 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 the tacit threat, well, the clear threat, the very clear threat that the, um, the, the right wing of uh, these, 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 these militia types, these racists, the, 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 the correct, the, 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 the very real threat they pose in terms of in terms of the government, but despite all of that, they were able to actually look the other way and allow these people to have access to the Capitol. Um, now, one of the things is that uh, you know when you talk about um, uh, your accountability, one of the things that you would you normally you would think in this kind of situation someone has to be held accountable for this, but to date no one has been held accountable, and I'm, I maintain that no one is going to be held accountable simply because the people in positions of power. When we talk about the uh, the deep state. We talk about people who position the power, who 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 actually who are above government. They actually run things. In particular, we talk about something like the Pentagon. These people have a these people have agenda in mind, and when they have an agenda in mind, they go with it because there's no one that can stop their agenda. So allowing these these races access to the capital, uh, it ensure these these races will have the kind of visibility they need in terms of uh, to better organize other races in society. So clearly, this is very, very problematic for me. And and, and the mere fact that you know, a day prior, uh, a, a day prior to the to January January the first, when they, when when journalists approached the uh, Capitol uh, Capitol Police about preparations for um, you know for for this um, for this uh, for this for this uh, uh, large scale um, intervention by these races, uh, their position was that we were prepared to do that. Well, it says so soon a day later, well, they weren't prepared to do that. And the question is, why did they lie about that, knowing that they had no intentions on preparing for these people coming? So clearly, Brother Africa, I think that is across the board is very, very problematic. And so when you talk about the fact that um, <clears throat> we're at war, people have to start thinking strategically. Uh, like I said before, these people in positions of power think, think in terms of chess. They don't think in terms of checkers. And so we got to start thinking strategically in terms of chess and understand that when they do things, there's always an implication behind what they do. We don't also understand what the implications are, but it's vital to us that we begin to understand the implications of what they do. Because if we're going to, in fact, persist or, or, or survive in society, then we have to understand clearly what they do and the implications for us in terms of our lives or our longevity in the society. So clearly we have to begin to play chess because these people clearly are playing chess. And this is a, this is a testament to, to their ability to actually play chess, play chess and not be held accountable. Okay, Brother Anthony, when we look at imperialism in crisis and you look at this article from the National Security Agency, uh, what contradictions come to your mind? One uh, among the contradictions that come to mind are all the ones that uh, Brother Haki raised. In addition, uh this uh, supposedly grassroots opposition 
you know, was uh, well financed. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, in terms of looking at a chess game, how do that many people who are re- re- relatively poor manage to afford, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, to uh, uh, make it to D.C. from various parts of the U.S.? without the, the uh you know this operation being well financed and uh i'm pretty and uh and chances are a lot of people haven't thought about that you know at that aspect this was uh that this was deliberate well financed and uh and um you know the the military kind of like looked the other way when it came to um, you know security. So there were forces at work that wanted this to take place, and uh, and the reason uh, was so that they uh, so that they could uh, step up the political repression of the working masses of people. Uh, because since that time period, security has been stepped up, as it usually is after every crisis. Uh, there's a step up in, uh, in security and an erosion of uh, uh, people's human rights. So that's my uh, takeaway from this piece. Illinois, your analysis of the piece. Um, I I uh, concur that um, this the this this was an assault on the uh, democratic rights of American people because from the article I saw that the National Park Service uh, issued permits and uh, there were I think I counted eighty thousand people were going to be present. And also, I I almost confused one of the groups in reading the article with being a government agency because they were talking about them being well-armed in Virginia and prepared to move forward. But one thing about this country and the people of this country is that our capital, this capital, should belong to us. And and I see now it's more important than ever. I was completely opposed to the funding of this, uh, what I see coming forward as the militarization of the Capitol, where they want to put up underground fencing so that it can pop up automatically rather than having the fencing that they have up now. And they want to have a National Guard force that's trained to protect the Capitol. The capital has always been protected by the people, and that is with the belief, the people have the belief that when they demonstrate, when they take action, and they arrive at the nation's capital, the steps of the capital, they will be heard. At no time in history until January 6th had any person assaulted the capital. These white supremacists, um, were being utilized 
to uh, undermine the civil liberties of the United States of America. And I have to urge Congress to not allow this to happen. And that's what I, uh, from the article, we could see that the Homeland Security, uh, the the FBI, uh, 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 the Federal Protective Services, and the uh, 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 the Federal Protective Services, uh, which I I believe is a uh, works with or is a part of Homeland Security, was uh, aware of the. Uh, fact that there was a man, for example, including the report that a man with a rifle was in a tree near the ellipse, and uh, uh, reports of rioters attempting to bypass the no-bag rule down on the mall uh, and, and being allowed to. They can bring plastic bottles or, or they can bring water, but certainly not. Uh, why, why are they trying to bypass uh, this rule that is so they can throw uh, uh, um, something like Molotov, much stronger than I believe the Molotov ca- uh, cocktails that the uh, pal- uh, Palestinians were trying to use against their Zionist oppressors. Oppressors. So from this article, I've learned that we don't need to uh, arm the capital. We need to just uh, use the intelligence information that is being well collected by our federal government to stop uh, people like those white supremacist criminals that attacked our capital on January 6th. They're the problem. So we don't need to escalate uh, a, a totalitarianist type of uh, culture by of fencing in and blocking off and uh, our nation's capital. Can you imagine being a tourist and or, or, or a citizen demonstrating and having a pop-up fence because somebody doesn't like your political views? That's not the America we've been living in. And there has been a major cultural change. But we see these neo-fascists rising up all around the world so we need to combat it, and we are combating it right here, right now. And um, one last comment to divert a bit back to the Palestinian people. We see what uh, a racist apartheid government with the use of the United States is doing. The uh, Right now, our Congress is considering... Uh, sending uh, uh, more military equipment to the Israelis. This Iron Dome that everyone talks about is a U.S. The U.S. is us. It's our equipment. Our bombs should not fall on any person, and certainly not Palestinians. And from yesterday's program, I've learned that the average age of a Palestinian is less than 30. So that means somebody has been making sure that the day-to-day lives of Palestinians are hell because they're not getting the medical supplies they need. They don't have access to water, electricity, and very basic things. And they don't have freedom of movement. They have the largest outdoor prison in the world. 
sec- and second to that only is the United States. So it's time to stand up. And we learned from this article that we have we had all the information to stop these these criminals from assaulting our capital, but chose not to take any action. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Next we go to Brother Moses. Your take on this article, Brother Moses. Yes. Um this is not a good night for me, y'all. Um, I, I, I'm going to pass. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Brother Moses. But you are listening to the audience. You get a chance to definitely check this article out. It has so many contradictions, but it show you the internal crisis among the imprudent sources. It's something that we can learn from because you must study your enemy and take advantage of their mistakes. Well, how can you find it to us before we move on? We just let you make it find it to us on this article. Well, let me let me let me push back a little bit because it's important that we we provide clarity, and I don't want to confuse anybody as to, you know, the motivations of this government. Uh, I'm not about for one second to pretend that this government gives a damn about human rights, about the value of life. Uh, in in fact, we talk about a capitalist system which is totally impervious to the to the needs or the concerns. Of human rights, so let's let's be very clear on that point. Now, Sister Eleanor talks about uh, combating neo-fascism in society. That's what we need to do. Well, for various economic reasons, not to mention that capitalism, in terms of its decline, cannot afford to fight uh, uh, fascism. It has, in fact, it embraces fascism. Uh, for instance, when we uh, when we talk about um, uh, something pointed, brother, looking something, brother Anthony said, when we talk about in terms of its support. These uh, these these uh, racists uh, 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 enjoyed was by was was part and partial result of capitalist funding to make sure that they had the buses or the refunds the the, the the revenues they needed in terms of getting from all parts of the U.S. into Washington D.C. So what is the capitalist interest in terms of, of, of terms of funding these fascists to make sure that they get to Washington D.C. To, to raid the White House? Well, the interest is that in order for them to maintain control, then they have to have a fascism. Fascism has to come to existence. Because if you have people who fundamentally understand that there's something fundamentally wrong way with the system operates, then those people have the propensity or the tendency or the possibility those people are actually standing together to fight for real change is a threat to capitalists. And so, therefore, they support fascism because fascism is an interest. Also, when we talk about politicians, and we talk about, now let's, let's be clear. It's, we can demonize these whites, you know, at the White House in terms of, you know, uh, rampaging and, 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 and breaking into the, to the White House, into the Capitol. But let's be very clear on something. They're not the threat. The threat comes from powerful, powerful individuals. We're talking about politicians. We're talking about major capitalists. We're talking about people with immense wealth and immense power. They're the problem. When we talk about the right-wing politicians, I'm not going to even name their names, but you all guys, you all know who I'm talking about in terms of the right-wing politicians, who are very upfront about their, about their racism. They don't attempt to obscure it or hide it. They tell you that they're racist, and they're very clear on that. And they also advocate the destruction of death or liquidation of African or, or brown people or gays or Jewish people. So we have this kind of phenomenon that exists among people in positions of power. So whereas we demonize people who are poor, we've got to be very clear that this problem is systemic. It has something to do with poor white folks. We're talking about a system which, 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 which indoctrinates people across the board. But more importantly, we have to understand that people who are in positions of power, people who have something to lose, are the most, stand, stand most to, to, to support 
uh, fascism society. So this notion that somehow that they're going to do is right and fight fascism, it's not in the interest of fight fascism. It's simply not going to happen. Also, we got to talk about the question in terms of political expediency. you got to understand one thing. You know, as capitalism declines, one thing is clear. The potential for people to, to, to point at the capitalists and say, you are the problem, they're not naive. They understand that. They understand that potential. And so they don't want a scenario in which potentially, you know, they'll be hang up, hang up by ropes. They, go, they want to create a scenario in which other people are blamed for the problems of society. And so, therefore, when we talk about this political expediency, it's, it's important, which, which I alluded to earlier in terms of propaganda, important to give these, these racist white groups an, an alternative to point at someone else in terms of being part of the problem. Because the capitalists are not, don't want anyone to be in a position to point at them and say, you're the problem. You're exactly why there's homelessness, why people don't have jobs, uh, why there's, there's, there's no uh, health care for people. You're the reason why all this stuff exists. They don't want that. So they have a vested interest in terms of supporting fascism. And we've got to understand this clearly, not deceive ourselves into thinking that somehow that uh, the, the system is somehow humane. It's not. It's not designed to be humane. It's never been designed to be humane. When we talk about the, the difference between Democrat or uh, democracy in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a republic, we understand clearly what the differences are. Republics exist to serve the interests of the powerful. And we, we, we're clear on that. In the context of America, we talk about the powerful. We talk about rich white males. We understand that. And so this question in terms of democracy is something that's created for the masses of the people. It has something to do with political reality. It has something that, something that they, they foment to get people to believe that, in fact, that democracy exists in reality. They understand democracy doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, if you push it, they'll tell you it doesn't exist. They'll say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a representative democracy, which doesn't make any sense, doesn't mean anything, uh, as though the people that you sit off the office that represent you actually represent your interests. Well, of course, you and I understand that these people who are in the positions in the Congress don't represent our interests. They represent the interests of the capitalists. We understand that. So let's be clear. So this notion in terms of this, this, this wishfulness, this, this, um, this, up, this, uh, uh, this, uh, this, this notion in terms of being optimistic, uh, I think it has to be tempered with some reality in terms of the kind of system that we're talking about. And because we talk about a capitalist system, we've got to understand that as the system as the system declines, then we understand that you know in order for in order for any hope or longevity for the system, it means it has to it has to liquidate increasing numbers of people. Certainly, it has to incarcerate larger and larger number of people. It has no choice. If we talk about the National Defense Authorization Act, we understand precisely what that means. They're setting up a scenario where they say, "Listen, we know at some point in this country, in the United States, we have to incarcerate uh, tens of millions, we have to get millions of people. We have to incarcerate them. We have to intern them." They're telling you that. That's under the National Defense Authorization Act. And so when you talk about that act, when they create an amendment which says that we're going to create justification for the CIA to spy inside of the United States, what do you think they're telling you? They're telling you we're preparing for you. That's what they're telling you. Let's not deceive ourselves to believe in that fact that this neo-fascism is somehow a phenomenon that pertains only to poor white people. It doesn't. And let's stop scapegoating poor white folks. You know, let's stop scapegoating poor white folks. Let's look at let's look at fascism what it is. It's a system of power, which 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 understands that in order for it in order for it to have any type of longevity, in order for it to survive, it must not only pit people against one another, but inevitably it must create a situation in which many many people must die. Because the only way for the system to survive, people must die. It's a very simple formula. It's a very simple formula. I'm not going to over intellectualize it in terms of you know the the, the textbook definition. But that's simply, essentially what, 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 uh, what, what, what uh, fascism, fascism is all about. So let's be very, very clear on this point. So when you say that, that they're going to, if we only do this, if we only just 
if we only just embrace humanistic kinds of policies, then it's going to be all right. Well, it doesn't work that way. It never have, it never will. This is a capitalist society, hard and cold. It doesn't give a damn about humanity. You know, and if you sit there and say for one second that this is a system that gives a damn about humanity, then when they, when they come pick you up or when they come and throw you in a internment camp, understand that you were, you were, you were, you were badly uh, deceived in terms of how the system operates. So it's very, very clear. I just want to make that point. That's important we point that out, that when we talk about fascism, we can't exclude the powerful because they're the ones who are behind the scenes who actually, in addition to the, 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 the deep state, they're the ones behind the scenes who are manipulating all of this. And that's very clear on that point. Okay, let's go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, want to take your lead on this article as relates to the Athenian night imperialism crisis. You know, many times when you look at imperialism and you look at those who hide behind the cover, when their status and their position become threatened and vulnerable, they always call for their master. Now, there's an interesting article out of the magazine Africa, dated April 22nd, 2021, titled Nigeria Urges U.S. to Move Africa Command Headquarters to Continent. Now, why would you say a president of an African country will make a request or make a demand that they move the headquarter of African command from Germany to Africa. If that's not an indication of the weakness of improvements in crisis, you said, Anthony, what's your analysis for that particular article, Brother Anthony? What does this symbolize when a African president call for an institution like the African command to have a its headquarter in the, on the continent of Africa. Does they have to talk to us? Yes. Oh, what it, uh, what it means is that Nigeria is showing that it's supposed to Pan-Africanism, uh, which is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And that in order for those puppets to hold on to power, they rather allow a foreign force to base themselves in Africa rather than uh, than uh, seek political unification, which is the only way that uh, that 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 Africa would be secure is if it unifies politically. And uh, you know, and uh, destroy all forms of imperialist exploitation, and uh, and actually, it shows the weakness of one of the forms of exploitation, neocolonialism, which is uh, a system of uh, of indirect control by the capitalist forces. And uh, it shows what it shows is that the Nigerian ruling class is more committed to maintaining capitalism than it is to genuine African liberation and independence. And uh, you know that is a very telling uh, statement, but also. But also, uh, capitalist countries 
around the world and neocolonialist countries are getting more repressive against the people. That's a sign of uh, of weakness and the fact that uh, that imperialism is getting weaker rather than stronger. Because it, uh, in places around the world, the 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 illusion or facade of democracy is disappearing and fading away. And uh, and uh, th- and uh, in order to get, uh, in order to hide and deceive people, they do it in the name of security and defense. But really, it is really an attempt uh, to uh, to erode people's uh, hard-won democratic rights, and also uh, and also their their forces at home and in the diaspora that are, are opposed to genuine liberation because that would uh, limit their power to exploit. Right, thank you, Brother Anthony. Sister Eleanor, your take. Why would any independent country want a foreign military in their own backyard? What's your take, Sister Eleanor, as you read this article? What concerns came to your mind, Sister Eleanor? I I very much agree with uh, Brother Anthony and that uh, these neo-colonialists like... Uh, President uh, Muhari in Nigeria, uh, Paul in Cameroon, this would serve their interests because what we see is a decline in global democracy. And Brother Anthony said something very important. It's hard won. Hard won. Social, this, this, this imperialism uh, at least had some, it had uh, some it had democracy. People could speak up against it. They could stand and rise against it. But what we see globally happening now in Nigeria, there's political strife. So president, the president of Nigeria thinks he's going to take care of that by bringing foreign forces to Africa. No, no, no is what I say to that. And I, I uh, was not shocked because, as we know, there's been a, a civil unrest in Nigeria now for at least a year. Um, it began before the pandemic, so I guess it's longer than that. And it doesn't seem to be coming to an end. We have a dictator in neighboring Cameroon. We saw that uh, when uh, the colonialists were pulling out of West Africa, they gave the uh, uh, people an opportunity to reunite and what is the Western uh, Cameroon could have become a part of Nigeria back in the day, but they chose to remain with their Francophone brothers and sisters. Now we see great strides and fighting and infighting simply because of uh, neo-fascism. These few greedy leaders who dominate their countries, what they want to do is to take away the people's right to speak, the people's right to free democratic elections, 
the people's rights to even run for political office so that they can become rulers for life. And what we say to President Bahari is no. It's one thing uh, for us to uh, read these articles, and this fascism comes in where the article talked about the kidnapping several years ago of the 200 girls in northern Nigeria. It failed to discuss that there's a full functioning campus of American University in that same part of northern Nigeria where African uh, affluent wealthy Nigerians are able to complete their undergrad and graduate studies without ever leaving their country. And uh, and there's no problem with any, uh, what is it called, Coca what was it called, Co, I'm sorry, Brother Africa, and to the audience, but the uh, Boko Haram, I think, is the correct pronunciation. I'm sorry if I don't pronounce it correctly. These Islamists, suddenly you see them, as you said, in the media, on 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 in movies and shows, I hear the name Coco Haram. Well, I don't think they're the threat. I think the real threat is uh, fascism. And you see it in Nigeria. And this placement of this foreign military base would give it access to Nigeria, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Nigeria, uh, Senegal, Ghana, but most importantly, Cameroon and Nigeria. And this is where the new oil pipeline is. You know, they've been um, dredging the Cameroonian River for, for at least a decade. So again, this is about uh, social imperialists and them trying to, the dictators, these dictators, these imperialists are African-grown and bred. And the interest of the people and Pan-Africanism is not their interest. Their interest is personal greed and property. And I'd like to regret for a moment and go back to the demonstration on January 6th. On January 6th, it wasn't the poor working whites that I uh, object to. It was the, the, the wealthy whites who flew in on private planes to be a part of this demonstration. And these people, I stand united, and we stand united with workers all around the world. As the Black Panthers said, black power, black power, black power. They said white power. It's about working class power. It's about democracy. It's about being an environmentalist. It's about saving our planet. And uh, certainly we stand in solidarity with the working class, but at no time, and I've, I've found that many of these folks from that January 6th insurgent, they are a part of that 1%. They had money. They didn't come here because uh, they were unemployed. They didn't come here because they were concerned about health care. They came here because they were concerned about white supremacy and their rights as capitalists to maintain the status quo. They are not concerned with global warming. People addressing global warming are their enemies. People addressing uh, fascism are their enemies. So... What the problem is, uh, uh, I think, as Brother Anthony said, is uh, neo-fascists 
um, taking over. Excuse me. Neo-fascists taking over uh, West African countries, and we really, really need to stand in solidarity with the people of Nigeria and know that, unfortunately, the president of Nigeria does not speak uh, on behalf, President uh, uh, Muhari is not speaking on behalf of the Nigerian people. He's speaking on the behalf of his own economic interests. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Haki, when I read this article, um, I, I was saying to myself, um, this brother in Nigeria, he, he speaks so openly and with such um, bravery. Easy to take the people are totally um, blind, or he truly believes that the that he has power that it's going to back him, where he's untouchable. Why would any African president would call for the headquarter of the African command, which we're talking about Africa, to be in their home? Your response is, Article Brother Haki. Brother Africa. You know, I can only conclude, you know, that the kind of um, um, opportunism, uh, the kind of corruption, uh, the kind of self-denigration that one has to have in order to subject themselves to all that kind of abuse is uh, alive and well in Nigeria, I'm sorry to say. I think one of the problems, Brother Africa, is that in, in Nigeria, uh, you know, uh, there's a tremendous amount um, of respect for the Western way of doing things, and, and I'm sad to say that. But I think it's manifested itself in terms of the institutions, in terms of the way the people behave and the way the people think. So for this guy, Buhari, uh, to take the position that, you know, his interests are all that matters, I'm not surprised at all. Isn't that a quintessential Western perspective, that it's all about myself? I don't give a damn about anybody else, it's just about me. Isn't that a quintessential Western perspective? So I think he sort of internalized that perspective, so I'm not surprised. But I am somewhat dumbfounded when you think about in terms of, when you think about these groups like, you know, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, or Boko Haram, when you think about them, does it, does it dawn on this particular president, you know, who fund these organizations? Do you think these poor people uh, unilaterally fund themselves? What do you think the funding the weaponry comes from? The guys can't be that stupid. I, I don't think he's that stupid. I think the question in terms of the class element or class dimension in Nigerian society is so strong. I think they can pretty much overlook anything, uh, you know, um, uh, anything that gets in the way in terms of their achievement in terms of, uh, you know, uh, in terms of status. And that is unfortunate. You know, one of the things about Nigeria, when you think about in terms of the kind of the debt it finds itself in, I mean, currently Nigeria is something like $86 billion in debt. And that's according to Nigeria Debt Management. So you talk about $86 billion in debt. Now, out of $86 billion in debt, Brother Africa, uh, about a quarter of that debt is, is owed to servicing the, servicing the debt. So we talk about between 7 to $8 billion have to pay just financing the debt. Now, when you talk about the level of poverty in, 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 in Nigeria, uh, which, is, which is untenable, but when you talk about the mere fact that when you, when you talk about poverty in Nigeria, you talk about $381 a year. 
Now, the per capita income for most Nigerians, including the wealthy ones, is only about $2,000. That's as of 2020. So the thing is that there's a tremendous amount of pressure in terms of, you know, trying to achieve that Western dream in terms of being like the West. And so, therefore, giving those meager earnings, so the, the presentation in terms of engaging in corruption to engage in all kind of practices that are kind of productive or kind of intuitive, uh, exists in the minds of a lot of people there in Nigeria. Uh, so you got 86 million people who are officially impoverished in Nigeria. Well, that 86 million people fundamentally creates a problem in terms of Nigeria's ability in terms of not only to to uh, to fund itself, but the kind of revenues it needs in terms to 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 to, to carry out you know, the functions of government. Superimposed upon a world structure, a world Western purely structure, which ensures, particularly when we talk about the IMF and the World Bank, which ensures that they remain impoverished. So, so against the backdrop of all of this, for this guy to talk about to advocate, you know, he wants the, the AFRICOM to be stationed in Nigeria so they can help him maintain power and, power and control. Either this guy is a madman or he's extremely self-hating or the opportunism or the classism is so great that it blinds him to the, 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 the economic political reality facing Nigeria. Uh, clearly, you know, uh, in, in my dealings with uh, a lot of brothers and sisters out of Nigeria, I run into my fair share of Nigerians with that mentality in terms of, you know, um, in terms of, you know, classism. I'm all about that nonsense. Uh, so in the mere fact that it continues to manifest itself in particular political leadership, I mean, for me, it's problematic, Brother Africa. Uh, when I think about the president of Tanzania, John Magafula, in which they, 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 they killed, make no mistake about it, uh, the Tanzanians are no fools. The opposition is that John Magafula was assassinated by the CIA or MI, MI6. So the mere fact when I, when I, when I contrast these two presidents that have one who's seriously concerned about the, the situation as it unfolds in this country, who's legitimately concerned about the, the aspirations of his people. You know, look at this guy like Buhari, who could care less and get a long history of not caring a damn about the masses of people, who's, who's certainly supportive of corruption, has there's not any corruption about Buhari uh, doesn't endorse. So this kind of guy, so this kind of, so, so the kind of uh, uh, classist mindset that exists in this guy uh, is, is, is so detrimental to Nigeria as a whole uh, you know, that it seems to me, you know, that uh, the fact that he's blind to how absurd this, his positions are, his reasoning is, it seems to me that there's something fundamentally wrong with this guy. I mean, you know what I mean? I do understand classism brings the worst out of people. I do understand people, some people do anything in order to obtain money. I do understand that. But the mere fact, when you look at the, the Nigerian economy, there's not a lot of money to be had. And so, therefore, if you argue that maybe he's doing what he's doing, in terms of gaining access to the little money that does exist, maybe that's his motivation. But you have to understand that if that's his motivation, you have to understand that 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 just that problem in terms of the functional economy, it's going to continue to exacerbate. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. So ultimately, even corruption won't pay off, and that is the current problem that he has in terms of the kind of policies, the kind of things that he endorsed. So, brother Africa, let me conclude by simply saying that you know, I, I you know, uh, this kind of mindset, you know, is, is fascinating. Uh, you have it throughout the continent. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's only one African leader I know of that's actually taking a stand. Two, Magafulu was one. There's only one, and that's Professor Lamumba out of Kenya. That's the only conscious Africans I know on the continent, and that is a sad statement. Perhaps there are others I just not aware of. 
for those who are visibly out there who are actually fighting for the continent, who are fighting for the aspirations of the people, who are fighting to end imperialism, who are fighting to strengthen Africa, who are fighting to ensure, you know, Africa has a future. Yeah, few, yeah, I, I only know one. I only know one person. So clearly, you know, brother Africa, uh, this guy Bahuri, Buhari, given his, given his, given his past, I'm not surprised at what he does. Whatever it takes to get money in his pocket, he'll do it. So just, just the way it is, and I'm sad to say. All right, brother Haki, uh, listen to the audience. You've been listening to Africa on the Moon. We're in the seat. We're taking the heat. We're speaking to the theme tonight. Imperialism in crisis. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick station break, and when we come back, we will articulate one more other issue that relates to this theme tonight, and we're going to look at the behavior of the French government and how they are dealing with the Palestinian solidarity demonstrations that are taking place. But not so much look at the French, but understand what's the real message behind it and how other Western governments may act or are acting in the sense of understanding that imperialism is in crisis. We'll be right back. Let's pause for this call. This is Africa on the Moon. You are listening to Brother Africa. If I had all the money in the world, guess what I'd do with it? I'd burn it all up.
Welcome back to Africa on the Move. We're discussing imperialism in crisis. Yes, the world is on fire. And once the people get organized, we will make the decision. And we will identify who was the one responsible for setting the world on fire. And justice will be dealt with. Right now, in our final closing tonight, around the theme, imperialism crisis, we want to call your attention to an article written in the magazine called Jacobin, um, written on the 14th day of May, 2021, titled, Emmanuel Macron's Government Has Banned Palestinian Solidarity Demonstrations. We ask Sister Eleanor to take the lead on this one and maybe talk to the listening audience on the significance what's going on with France and how they're dealing with people who want to express political discontent and how they are using it as a tool to oppress the Palestinian people. And this is also something that the West is doing throughout the world. And if it hasn't, if it hasn't came to your area, it will be real soon. Sister Illinois, what do you take from this article? Why is the French doing what they're doing and telling Palestinians they have no right to demonstrate when they come to Palestine? Um, I I think it's fascism on the move. Uh, President uh, Emmanuel Macron and his uh, interior minister, uh, um, I believe his name is Gerald, I I don't, it's Damani or D-A-R-M-A-N-I-N, I think these uh, demonstrations, the ban on these demonstrations is simple ignorance and a failure to have addressed uh, global issues and human rights struggles. The Palestinian struggle is a clearly divine struggle of a group of people whose land was settled by a military settler state that has been murdering, maiming, and 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 uh, making them invisible for 73 years. In France, a former colonialist government, they've had a huge influx of uh, French citizens from their colonies that have sought a better life uh, in the West and it has not been well addressed. I think uh, what happened during the Bill Clinton administration with the UN uh, setting up all these uh, uh, enterprise zones throughout the world, including Paris, um, opened uh, uh, the country up to greater exploitation by the capitalists, and they thought they had put protection in place where they were going to protect indigenous Parisians and this and that, but it wasn't effective enough. When you have business unleashed, when you have uh, no control over what happens in your economy in any sector of your country, you are going to suffer. The people are going to suffer. So in France, it appears that there's a great division between uh, uh, immigrants and uh, the young people, the students, 
immigrants, the students, uh, they're not necessarily immigrants, but they're French. All the French people seem to be divided, and it seems to be a huge chasm between the middle class, shrinking middle class in France, and the rest of the French population. Ergo, we've seen in recent years all this anti-Arab journalism and this sort of thing. And too long we've been besieged by the fact that the Palestinian people are a people and have been just calling them in the abstract Arabs. Who are the Arabs? The Saudis? I think they're the Arabs. I think the Iranians are Iranians. I think the Syrians are Syrians. The Lebanese are Lebanese. Moroccans are Moroccan. Uh, but, we, you know, France is allowing Morocco to occupy the southern, turning a blind eye to their occupation of the Western Sahara for a decade. And I think that it is just a lack of free and trying to suppress the people in general that has caused uh, this uh, horrible uh, suppression of the people. I found in the article that the police, it was said that the reason they didn't want to permit the demonstrations was because they thought that there would be troublemakers that would attack the police. Well, who's going to attack the police? They're armed to the teeth. Demonstrators are own their only attack are signs, posters, and progressive speakers who tell the people the truth. And so I think it was a just an unfortunate situation, and uh, uh, the 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 masses of people seem to be French people seem to be anti-Zionist and as uh, Brother Moses said um, Israel is in the same position as South Africa was and and this apartheidism this uh, suppression of the people, the murder murdering the people so that uh, 70% of their population is under 30 What happened to the old people in Palestine? i tell you what happened. They didn't get the medicine they needed. They didn't get their metformin for their uh, type 2 diabetes. They didn't get their blood pressure medicine. They don't have clean water. They don't have food, and the world is waking up. And the French are awake. And what uh, the president of France is trying to do the uh, Emmanuel Macron, the will of the people, by restricting their civil liberties. And again, fascism. Everyone has to wake up right now and fight fascism. Social imperialism may be our enemy, but fascism will gag the people and have us marching off to internment camps. So um, uh, this is... uh, the article talked about the politics of the second gilded age and uh, uh, the de- devastating attacks uh, uh, of Israel and how it affected the French people. And uh, I think uh, that's just an example of uh, the success of the Palestinian movement, their victory. Uh, 
the Israelis were destroying them and killing them, and the world was waking up saying we are anti-Zionist. We are not anti-Jewish. We're not anti-white. We're anti-Zionist. Down with apartheid. Down with fascism. So this is what... uh, the article caused me to think, and uh, I saw that there were several movements, and apparently this repression, and, and they've been denying uh, uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrations since the War of 2014, when Israel savagely attacked the Palestinians. So this appears to be an ongoing problem in France. The question of why demonstrations for Palestine's had been banned is pretty pretty easy to answer according to the article. Uh, it's simply uh, the fact that the people are no longer willing to let France stand by and, and complicit in, in watching Israel annihilate the Palestinians. So uh, therefore the president has nothing to do but to suppress the people's right to demonstrate. And again, as Brother Anthony said, it is a hard-earned right globally to demonstrate, and we must protect that right and stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people uh, and all those that are anti-Zionist and anti-apartheid everywhere. Thank you, my sister, Bella. Brother Haki, when you look at the metrics, the methods that Macaroni is employing against his opposition inside of his country, would there be any different behavior when you look at Western countries? Is this something we should come to expect? Brother Haki, your take on this article. Yeah, you know, as as, as Sister Eleanor alluded to, uh, we got we got to talk about the expansion of uh, fascism throughout the world, and one of the things that we don't talk about a lot, uh, which I plan to talk about in the future, is the question of CIA role in terms of facilitating fascism throughout the world. So we don't talk about the kind of expenditures uh, organizations like the CIA utilize for sole purpose of uh, ensuring the expansion of fascism throughout the world. And so when we talk about expansion, uh, fascism, exp- expansion of fascism throughout the world, we understand there's a certain amount of desperation that exists among Western leaders in, in the world. Uh, one of the things is that when you, the, when you look at the kind of um, uh, neoliberal policies, and you talk about the, the increase in terms of poverty, the people lack of access to jobs and meaningful wages, all of that's sweeping throughout the West. And so, this is, so Western leaders find themselves in a very precarious predicament. The question is, you know, how do they maintain power? Of course, one of the things is that they have to become much more ruthless in terms of their application of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of force because they understand that the only way they're going, they're going to uh, remain, main, maintain uh, the status quo, they have to utilize force. And so Macron's position is not unique. So his point is that he's going he's gonna to de- attempt to delegitimize anything that, uh, that smacks up uh, um, one organization, that, that, that smacks up um, opposition, you know, to, 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 to policy, that smacks of opposition to foreign policy. So anything that, that smacks of opposition, he's going to come down hard on. So we understand that he is not unique in that regard. So they're all doing it on, on some level. 
Uh, but the only difference is that when you get when you think about in terms of fascism specifically in terms of you know um, Eastern Europe, and you think in terms of you know their the strategy they they employ, they tend to play up fascism in terms of you know uh, you know not only recognizing fascist groups but legitimizing fascist groups by praising the good works that they do. Uh, Macron is not at, at Macron is not at a state yet. Right now, he's just cracking down on opposition on organization. Uh, but he's going to get to that point because the bottom line is that the CIA, MI6, and the rest of these covert organizations, or uh, these intelligence organizations, understand that in order for the West to maintain its hegemony, it has to engage in these practices. And as I said before, in order for imperialism to survive, people must die. It's a very simple formula. And uh, I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. And Brother Anthony, can you close us out on this article, your thoughts on what we can expect for the future as it relates to political dissent and the interest of how imperialism may respond to it? Brother Anthony, your thoughts on this article? I think the way France is going is the way capitalists uh, and imperialist countries are going in general. There, uh, that that and 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 one sure sign that imperialism is weakening is that is that they're trying to stifle political dissent, and it's not unique to France. It's happening in all the capitalist countries of the world, and I think is and I think and uh, you 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 know is an attempt by the imperialist and Zionist forces to maintain. Uh, uh, power and uh, one difference I would say between uh, South Africa and uh, and uh, you know occupied Palestine is that the Zionists have the support of the most powerful imperialist country in the world the U.S. And uh, so it's going to uh, it's going to take a a, a, a a tremendous amount of work on the part of the Palestinians and other forces opposed to Zionism to defeat it. But it will be defeated ultimately. But uh, but it, it, it's going to uh, it's going to take a lot of sacrifice, a lot of struggle, and a lot of work. And a lot more organization than we have at present, and that is why it becomes so critical for the masses of working people to get organized, because you, uh, the enemy is becoming ruthless. Right, more ruthless. Thank you, Brother Anthony. We're gonna take this quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna hear your final thoughts for tonight as we entertain. Imperialism in Crisis. This is Africa on the Moon. Oh, I 
Yes, it's been very interesting. I've been listening carefully, uh, and um, I've enjoyed uh, the analysts and panelists uh, because they come with some astute and uh, very deep analysis of the situations we are faced with. And uh, without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. So we appreciate their concrete analysis of conditions. And so having said that, I look forward to uh, studying uh, and um, another week. Thank you. And we thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we're going to Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, um, I want to thank the listening audience, and I want to continue to urge people to listen to Africa on the Move and to participate. And I agree very much with Brother Akeem that uh, the reason France uh, has reacted in such a reactionary way is because as a part of the G7, they have to follow the U.S. lead, and we have we are the supporters of Zionism. We, we, their military might is the U.S. military might, and I pray that uh, the the workers of the world and the citizens of the world continue to fight fascism. This is an unusual time that we in the 21st century would see fascism on the rise. You see. Bolsonaro, you saw Donald Trump, you see what's happening in France, Nigeria, the Cameroon, Guinea, elections postponed. You see uh, Morocco occupying his neighboring state. This is an outrage, and the worst situation on the planet is for everyone to sit around and be complicit to the annihilation of the Palestinian people. Palestine should be free. Palestine should be free. Let's free Palestine. When we free Palestine, we will be freeing ourselves. And this this, this neo-fascism isn't limited to the West. We see it in Asia and uh and I see the president of Nigeria this evening uh, in, in the analysis of the article. I see that he thinks that by bringing uh, the West into West Africa as a military force, it may help relieve his debt to China. But we will not be a part of that. That would be the worst catastrophe we've seen thus far if we would uh, – allow such an occupation of Western military forces in West Africa should not happen, mm-hmm. and it will not happen because our Congress will not. So in closing, I would urge everyone to register to vote where they live, to continue to organize, to where, uh, support uh, candidates that uh, support workers' rights, to become a candidate yourself for young people like Maurice to uh, participate in government enrichment where he lives 
for Sister Shirley to continue to do her great analysis and Brother Hakeem and Brother Africa and Brother Moses and Brother Anthony. I want to tell you that it, your work is, is uh, so much needed and so much appreciated. And all I can say is thank you and keep up the good work. And have a wonderful evening, and God bless you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And and we'll go to Brother Haki. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Yeah, first and foremost, let me just thank Sister Eleanor for uh, allowing for, you know, some very uh, insightful debates. Because it's important we have these kind of discussions because we have to provide credit for the masses of folks. The situation is very, very critical. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, um, there's a great reliance, you know, on on social media. So often the kind of messages and kind of information that we need is not uh, necessarily uh, getting through. So I, again, I, you know, I'm grateful to Sister Eleanor, you know, for making it possible to have, you know, uh, some incisive debate around, around issues that are so pertinent to the, to the African community. But to the community at large, I would say that the situation for African people is precarious. And, uh, you, know, um, you know, one of the things, you know, I, I often think about, you know, um, Bob Marley sung, sang a song and he talked about um, uh, natural mystic and he talked about many more have to suffer, many more have to die. And don't ask me why. And I often think about, you know, when I, when I look at the situation in terms of what's going on in society, and I'm often amazed at the, 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 the unawareness that exhibits itself among so many. It's like, and I remember I talked to a, to a young sister a couple of days ago, and I asked her, I said, young sister, uh, do your peers, do you ever think about what's going on in the world? No. Do you think about the situation turning unemployment? No. I said, okay. Well, thank you very much. And it's, well, it's time for me to head on down the road. But in any event, uh, the situation is very precarious for, for our people. And one of the things that we, 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 we have to understand, that very, very, we got to be somewhat um, um, sharp in our analysis. Keeping in mind that whenever the media uh, promotes someone, it's because you serve the interests of the media. In particular, you serve the interests of the capitalists. And so, therefore, um, anytime they elevate uh, black conservatives, uh, for example, and they say uh, ridiculous kinds of things, it serves a purpose. Uh, they're not simply elevating them because they want to do it, but it, because, but, but it serves a political objective. And so one of the things we try to do at Africa in the movement, we want to create this, a, a, a narrative, uh, certainly a situation where people, you know, are not uh, bamboozled. You know, so some reporter come up to them and say something, that they won't come with some, some ridiculous reply, that they'll be able to reply with some sense in terms of urgency and understanding what the situation is. Of course, in expressing a, 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 a very uh, realistic view in terms of what's going on, of course, your voice will not be elevated in media because the media is not going to do that. But nonetheless, it serves as somewhat of, a, uh, uh, of an incentive uh, for younger people, you know, to listen to people in terms of, you know, engaging discourse. Discourse will actually mean something. Discourse will actually uh, uh, um, uh, bring about uh, some, real, some real meaning. Uh, that is important. It's very easy to, to, to uh, succumb to the, the foreign games of, of social media in, in terms of, well, this basketball player said that about that basketball player. It's very easy to do that. Uh, but the more immediate, the more serious kind of discussion is the kind of discussion that we engage in after the move in which we want to create a situation where that becomes the norm 
where uh, people uh, instinctively, when you ask them a question, they 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 they're, they're feel empowered enough to actually to respond in a way which is not only intelligent but it was which which is savvy at the same time. But having said that, brother Africa, I don't spoke I don't I don't spoke enough tonight, so I'm going to conclude and simply by saying I always encourage the masses of people, our listeners in particular, uh, to you to unravel the matrix. Uh, that is key. With all the changes that's going on in society, we must understand the changes and what those changes mean to our lives. Without our fundamental understanding of those changes, we imperil ourselves. So clearly, we got much work to be done, much organization to create. Uh, to create. And saying that, Brother Africa, you have a good night, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Good night, Brother Hockey. You do the same. Next, Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that um, uh, let's see, in light of our struggle against Zionism, I'm reminded of an observation that Martin Luther King made uh, uh, over 50 years ago. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And uh, and um, in, in light of what the Palestinians are are struggling through today, uh, you know that uh, you know Zionism is a perfect example of that. And um, you know I think it's important that people understand that the reason why we report the struggle of the Palestinians against Zionism is because Zionism is our enemy also. And what happens in Pal- uh, uh and, and uh, you know, they can do that in other parts of the world and have been. And so we must or, uh, join an organization that's working uh, for the liberation of our people. We must struggle to defeat Zionism and all other forms of uh, uh, capitalism and exploitation worldwide. Join an organization that is working uh, uh, for, for, for Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our website is www.a-aprp-gc.org. Please check that website out when you get time. Uh, You'll find out more about our organization, about our positions, and about the history of Pan-Africanism. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Thank all the crew. Thank all our listening audience for allowing us to come in your home this evening. And for those who might be listening to this program for the first time, we'd like to remind you that Africa on the Moon is a weekly program that comes on every Sunday evening. It's by the 7 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. Not only do we treat, speak truth to the powerless, but also to the powerful. We'd like for you to encourage the word, spread the word. The Africa on the Move is an institution for you. 
where you can come on and share with our people about what's going on in our communities and how we can work together as one. We'd like to remind you that this program is under the banner of the African Women's Association. We'd like to send an invitation out to all freedom, love, and just people to join Africa on the move in conjunction with African Women's Association and other organizations to come and join us as we plan for our pre-drive trip to Cuba for the dates of December 27th to January the 3rd. If you have an interest, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. I'll remember to subscribe to go forward ever. Life is level. This has been AfricaOnTheMove. And we'll see you next week. And yes, imperialism is in crisis. We'll see you next week. This is Voiceo from Africa.